Money Matters Wealthy Thinking with Alfred Edmund Jr. It's okay to believe in Santa Claus as long as you never forget that he will not be paying your bills. I'm about to get real with you about holiday overspending. I'm your host, Alfred Edmund Jr. On today's podcast, I'm going to give you some important things to remember in order to avoid a financial hangover in the new year due to overspending during the holidays. I'll also be sharing part one of a powerful two-part conversation with the one and only author, speaker, business school professor, and wealth expert, Dr. Dennis Kimbrough. And of course, I'll have another great recommendation for your wealthy thinking reading list. But first, whether you celebrate Christmas, Hanukkah, or Kwanzaa, or any combination of these or less well-known traditions, the holidays are all about the spirit of giving. But because it's largely a commercial holiday, hence our frenzied focus on Black Friday, Small Business Saturday, and Cyber Monday, it is also about spending money. However, the holidays are not an excuse for wrecking your finances with irresponsible spending. Let's be honest. Many of us are still paying down credit card debt accumulated from holiday shopping from last year, or even as long as five or more years ago. To break this cycle, you need to maintain the proper perspective about what the holidays are supposed to be all about. Here's a hint. It is not about destroying your financial health and digging yourself even deeper into debt. Here are some reminders to avoid holiday spending choices that detract from the true spirit of the season. The holiday spirit is never about spending more than you can afford on a gift. Being overly generous when money is tight does nothing good for the giver or the receiver. Giving is not about being fake or pretentious. Honesty, including financial honesty, is key to any authentic gift. Don't pretend to have money you don't have by trying to play the big spender. Don't use guilt, so-called love, envy, shame, or depression to justify irresponsible holiday spending. Even though emotional spending can give you a temporary high, or in Christmas parlance, lift your spirits, it will also lead to guilt, buyer's remorse, and even resentment. These are hardly the emotions you want to be carrying with you into the new year. The holiday spirit is not about giving gifts designed to impress others. And to parents, overspending is not the way to compensate your kids for the ways you feel you're falling short. See the reference to guilty giving in the previous reminder. It's also not a way to make up for what you think you missed out on in childhood. It's the thought, not the price tag, that should really count. From the time I was about seven years old until I was in my late teens, my favorite Christmas gift was one I could count on receiving from at least one member of my family each and every year, a really cheap watercolor paint set. For those who don't know, my degree from Rutgers University is actually in art. My brother, who like me is in his early 50s, still looks forward to getting model car kits for Christmas, as well as for birthdays. When he was a younger man, a new soccer ball thrilled him just as much. My point, the most meaningful gift does not have to cost you an arm and a leg. And an expensive gift without meaning will soon be forgotten as well as a waste of your money. 
Whatever retail holiday you choose to celebrate, I just want to give you one more reality check. Shopping until you drop is not worth ruining your financial health, or if it is already poor, making it even worse. Yes, a healthy amount of holiday spending will be good for our economy, and certainly for retailers. But that does not justify spending more than you have and going deeper into debt. So don't get caught up in chasing deals, many of which, according to my friends in the retail business, aren't really new or all that exceptional, that you shop yourself into the poorhouse. For too many of us, the euphoric high of holiday shopping peaks into an outright frenzy, sometimes even resulting in injury or loss of life in the stores, followed by a devastating crash of depression, guilt, and stress over the debts that will make your new year anything but happy. So, before you head out to the mall or jump on your computer to start shopping, I'm asking you to think before you shop. Here's the bottom line. Spending irresponsibly should never be a holiday tradition. It's okay to believe in Santa Claus as long as you never forget that he will not be paying your bills. Shop with a budget and a list and remember that the true meaning of the holiday season is about far more than just spending money. You're listening to Money Matters Wealthy Thinking. I'm Alfred Edmond Jr. We'll be back in a moment. Support for Money Matters Wealthy Thinking and the following message come from State Farm, who knows that many Americans struggle with their finances and most have never been taught how to manage them. Starting today, State Farm wants to change that by giving people the tools, help, and education they need to take control of their money, putting financial well-being within the reach of everyone. Now you can find out more at letstarttoday.com. State Farm, here to help life go right. Coming up on Money Matters Wealthy Thinking, what does it really mean to adopt a wealthy mindset? We'll get answers from my guest, the one and only speaker, business school professor, and wealth expert, Dr. Dennis Kimbrough, author of The Wealth Choice, Success Secrets of Black Millionaires. But first, it's time for my Wealthy Thinking reading list recommendation. Regular Money Matters listeners know that I stress the importance of being proactive about your financial education, specifically by reading at least one book about personal finance investing, or business each and every month. Today, I'm recommending Do I Look Like an ATM? A Parent's Guide to Raising Financially Responsible African-American Children by Sabrina Lamb. Want to save money and gain control of your finances? Learn to say no to your kids. That's one of the key messages of Do I Look Like an ATM? A practical, insightful, Encouraging an often witty book by Lamb, who's an author, commentator, and financial educator. The founder and CEO of World of Money, a New York-based provider of financial education for youth ages 7 to 18, Lamb often asserts that smart money management is not just about knowing what's in your purse, but who's in your purse and why they're in there. She pulls together her personal experiences as a child and young adult, who initially expected her parents and others to finance her lifestyle, as well as the stories of the youth and their parents she has encountered through World of Money, 
to set the framework for the critical lessons and behaviors all families must adopt to promote healthier money attitudes and habits in their children. Lamb's book goes beyond urging parents to resist indiscriminate spending on their children to offering ideas, tips, and strategies to help parents change the financial behaviors and value systems of their entire household, engaging the active participation of their offspring. The result is an important brick in the foundation of family financial literacy, one that is invaluable to anyone who is serious about breaking the cycle of generational poverty and creating a new family tradition of wealth-building behaviors and lifestyle choices. If you are like most parents, you want better for your children. This book is a way to not just hope, but help them do better, while getting a better grip on your own finances and money management choices. Be sure to add, Do I Look Like an ATM? A Parent's Guide to Raising Financially Responsible African-American Children by Sabrina Lamb to your Money Matters Wealthy Thinking reading list. And now let's hear from today's guest, the one and only speaker, business school professor, and wealth expert, Dr. Dennis Kimbrough, author of The Wealth Choice, Success Secrets of Black Millionaires, the now classic Think and Grow Rich, A Black Choice, and other best-selling books on wealth and success. What follows is the first of a powerful two-part conversation with Dr. Kimbrough, during which he shares what it really means to adopt a wealth-focused mindset. Dr. Kimbrough. <laughs> Alfred, man, thanks for having me, man. This is, this is truly an honor. And you're doing great things, man. You're uh, closing the wealth gap, that's for sure. What would you say is, is kind of the, the most important golden thread of wealthy thought among the people that you've been privileged to talk to, interview, study, and share those lessons with the readers of your books and the students in your class and so many others of us over the years? Well, Alfred, um, from my vantage point, dealing with African-Americans, top of the list, they decided that they weren't going to be poor. And once they recognize that when, it, when you're talking about wealth, um, you know, wealth is not a function of who your parents are. Wealth is not a function of which side of the town or the tracks that you were born. Wealth is not a function of, uh, you know, in, in terms of your vast education. Wealth is not a function of any resources that you have. But it is a function of discipline, and it is a function of faith, and it is a function of forsaking today for tomorrow. And once these individuals realized that they were in complete control, because from African-Americans, you mentioned my uh, fifth book, that's a seven-year study on black millionaires. And once these individuals realized that they were in control and they could make the differences in their life financially, this is the story of men and women who reached their financial goals and objectives and no one placed a microphone in their hand or no one placed a ball in their hand. They said, listen, this is doable and I'm going to do it. They decided up front that they weren't going to be poor. And that's all a part of financial literacy. I mean, that's all a part of changing your life by the information that you take. The year that I was born, 1950, Alfred, there were only 100,000 millionaires in the United States. And only five were black. And I was privy to interview those five, and I shared their story and thinking grow rich of black choice. Now they're talking by the year 2020, in another three years, 
you might have close to, you know, 20 million millionaires in the United States. Yeah. And at this count, there's only 35,000 black millionaires. So what I'm doing, what you're doing, raising the noise level, increasing the volume in terms of closing the wealth gap, telling people what they're capable of doing and what they should be doing can make all the difference in the world. But here is the problem. The problem is that we don't profile our wealth creators like other groups do. And you've heard me use the example. You come to my study. I live in southwest Atlanta. You come to my study. I got a huge flat screen TV in my study. I can place the remote control in your hand. And you can turn to one of the financial networks. You can turn to the Bloomberg channel. You can turn to, you know, Fox Financial News. You can turn to any of those channels. And you might see an old interview of Bill Gates. You might see Warren Buffett being interviewed. Steve Jobs before he made his transition. The problem lies, when is the last time you've seen one of your wealth creators profile, sharing, tid, sharing tidbits, sharing the norms, the more race, the nuances to wealth creation. And all I've done, people say, oh, man, Dr. Kimbrough, your books changed my life. Your books are great. Yeah, I'd say, yeah, my books are great. And not because of anything that I've done. All I did, and with your founder of Black Enterprise, all I did was sit in a corner, ask questions, and when these wealth creators told me the answer, I took notes with both hands. That's all I did. And I learned that from the Napoleon Hill Foundation. Alfred, in 1908, there's a knock on the door of Andrew Carnegie. His butler goes down, opens the door, and who is it? It's a young, impressionable Napoleon Hill. He was 24 years old. And by some hook or crook, he got a chance to interview Andrew Carnegie, wealthiest individual in the world. If you took Carnegie's dollars by 2017 data, he would be worth about $350 billion. Arguably, yes. the wealthiest individual, blah, blah, blah. He had a 64-room mansion on Fifth Avenue overlooking Central Park in New York. And what was scheduled to be a one-hour interview, Carnegie saw something in a young 24-year-old impressionable Napoleon Hill. When Napoleon Hill walked into his house, he wasn't caught up in the bling-bling. He wasn't caught up in the excess. He wasn't caught up in, in all the, you know, the, the, you know, the stuff that, you know, this generation and our generation is attracted to. The only thing that, you know, Napoleon Hill was enamored with was what type of mindset does right. this individual mindset. have? Yes, that would, you know, attract all this to him. And so Carnegie saw it and he says, man, you know, young man, you're, you're different than other folks that I meet. Instead of, you know, staying here for an hour, I've got plenty of room. Stay here the entire weekend. So he stayed the entire weekend, Sunday afternoon. It's time for them to say adieu. And Carnegie drops the question of all questions. He says, listen, I got a little black book. And in that book, I got the contact numbers of all the peak performers, big ballers, all the game changers. You know, if I could go ahead and set up an interview with, um, you know, my peer group, with a Harvey Firestone, with a Henry Ford, with a Alexander Graham Bell, with a Bill Ridley, you know, with a Charles Goodyear, you know, and I could set these interviews up and you interview them just like you interviewed me and what they tell you about leadership, what they tell you about success, what they tell you about wealth attainment. If you would put it all in a single book, that will not only benefit this generation, but generations to come, would you do it? And he didn't know that Carnegie had a stopwatch behind his back, and it took Napoleon Hill 11 seconds to say yes. 
And then Carnegie said, wait a minute, young man, you, you said yes pretty quickly, but I got to tell you, I'm not going to give you a dime to, to undertake this project. Oh, I'll reimburse you for any expenses that you accrue, but you're not going to be paid for this. Just writing such a book will be reward enough. Are you sure you would do it? Then again, Hill said he would do it. And that was the start of financial literacy. Be sure to check out next week's Money Matters Wealthy Thinking podcast for part two of my powerful conversation with Dr. Dennis Kimbrough. You can get more of Dr. Kimbrough's insights at DennisKimbrough.com. That's Dennis, K-I-M-B-R-O.com. This is Alfred Edmund Jr. with Money Matters Wealthy Thinking. Be sure to check out my latest free ebook, Buy Love, Get Trouble, Sell Love, Get Screwed. How decisions in pursuit of sex, love, and relationships impact your career, business, and financial success at grownzone.com forward slash buy love, get trouble. And don't forget to subscribe to Money Matters Wealthy Thinking on iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or any other podcast directory. If you like what you hear, leave a five-star review. I'm Alfred Edmund Jr. at AURN.com. Thanks for listening. Come back for more next week. Money Matters Wealthy Thinking, a product of American Urban Radio Networks.